Let's get this show on the road. It's late. It's Tuesday. I already started my day off not well. You had a day off today? No. Oh. What? No. no. What? What do you my... mean you started your day off well? Oh, not in the sense that you had a day off, but you started your day off. I, it was not a good, you know, jo- you know. it on me at all times. Will's yeah. about to show this to me. This is part of your everyday carry. Yeah. I took it. Oh my I got God. it before Los Angeles because I was like, I'm not going to be somewhere and not. Comes in a little ca- little pouch. I don't understand how this is even possible. What do you hook it up to? It's basically like a water bottle with a little nozzle. So you oh. extend it. Oh, that was I didn't like that one. Bit. <laughs> it resembles it a Kong when it's fully extended. It is, it is a ribbed for his pleasure experience. Yeah. Um, so you just fill up a water bottle with water and squirt your beehole. <laughs> yeah. That's what it, a travel uh-huh. bidet is. Yeah. It's just a water bottle, but it has a nozzle, and it aims it. I understand, but because the angle, it's kind of gross that you carry that thing around, man. It's sanitary. I mean, is it like I how often you wash in that thing? Every time after you use it. What, in the sink at your place of work yeah. or a public? That's disgusting. What happens if you're in a stall where there's multiple stalls? Do you just proudly walk out with the travel bidet and start washing it in the sink like a homeless man? No, you put it in the thing for later. That's why it's only but for the like... the thing is going to be full of poo, and then it, you're putting it back in there every time. No, the sink is in the lavatory. It's just a one-room you know, show. I know, but I was asking you, what if it's not just a private restroom? Uh, then I wouldn't use it. You just wouldn't use it. No, how would I fill it up? You would resort to cable. What would I do? Time. Like, fill it up before I went in? Wow, this makes me wonder how many people are walking around with dark secrets like this. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. You know, it's, I, I think it's for camping. I th- they, what the, you know, hmm, the okay. marketing suggests it's for camping. But that like, sort of makes sense, but you would still have to bring toilet paper, right? Like, they're not suggesting that people simply just hose water go, bottle yeah. themselves. No, that yeah. doesn't work, though. Especially when you're camping, man. You're not getting a lot of fiber. Camping shits are not easy shits. I mean, I would think... Not that, that you would know. Yeah, I wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the less fiber, the the better. I, I want, suppose that's maybe a little You want cleaner. a clomper, yeah. Yeah, but also, I don't know. If yeah. it's like car camping and you're drinking a lot of beer, it can be that's the a, thing. a real Th- that's fucking not holocaust great. Yeah. out in the woods, you know? Yeah, that's why, like, if you have to go at work, it's not a great situation anyway. Uh, I go at work probably almost every day, Ugh. I would say. Heathen. I mean, I, what choice do I have? I'm regular. Like, what am I going to do? You Hold know, it. You have a couple cu- cups of coffee in the morning and, mm, oh, you know, yeah, no. 10, 30, 11 rolls around. It's time. <laughs> It's time for it's a Miller little time. visit. Yeah. Oh, God. What can I say? I mean, that's just the way it is. Yeah, no. But I, I, I want to sympathize a little bit because I do think about it at work all the time that uh, not having bidets in the United States is an uncivilized disaster. Absolutely. I almost like want to just get a new one. Why do you want to install it so here bad? and then take the old one to work and just install it? Oh, I see. Okay. Because I'm a little Prince, Prince baby do boy. Do you think your employees would think that was weird? I honestly don't care. Would they ask you what it was? I bet no. they wouldn't know. I'd be like, listen, hose your holes, kids. I don't know what to tell you. They probably wouldn't know and they'd 
be like, I don't know about I can't that. believe most people's resistance to the idea, too. You know what I mean? Because people will come over here, and they'll use it and be like, wow, this is so great. This but then great. they don't go and get one, which I don't understand. I don't I don't get it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't I don't understand. I don't get it. So your day was off to a bad start yeah. because you had to go to the bathroom at work. Yeah. And this is a bad situation. I turned it I You know, I was able to turn it around. But, like, you know, when you start the day, you're like, mm, this is not the, the way that I wanted to start it. It does sour the, like, general vibe of your day. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. I don't know. You know, I didn't have such a good day either because I woke up and I was feeling extra tired for some reason, even though I had no right to be. I'd kind of caught up on my sleep. I thought I should be feeling good. But it was the sort of feeling that's inseparable from just uh, fatigue. Like, oh, maybe a a couple cups of coffee. By the time I get to work, Mm. I'll be a little sleepy on the train, and then we'll be good to go. And then it, like, never went away all day. I've had a tension headache. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, yeah. A very low-resolution headache all day. And that never happens to me. Okay, so... Ever. What I think is happening is that the daylight savings time... Is, is even if you s- sleep a lot, it's still going to get you. It's going to get you one day. I discussed this with a coworker, and I concur that yeah, I feel like jet lagged, kind of. Yeah, doesn't help that I stayed up insanely late when the Actual clocks time changed. Change, yeah, so not that great. didn't help. No, at all. But uh, yeah, I think the daylight savings time and the ping ponging weather really do from it number. being 20 yeah. to it being like 60 today yeah. it's it's harming me it's harming me bodily and yeah. mentally and spiritually i think the the stupid time what is it forward what we want forward yeah this is the worst one because it's a 23 hour day it sucks it does suck it's hard you know there's good news on this front as of today though did you see this the light was on for I feel longer. like jay leno did you see this folks you, you read this um the senate unanimously passed keeping us on daylight savings time forever oh so we don't have to change the lights no not only do we not have to change the time we will be in change the time yeah the eternal light of after work forever (gasps) but then i don't get my hour in the fall morning people (laughs) listen i'll give up one extra hour of sleep to not be in eternal darkness for for six months yeah Yeah. (laughs) I, i don't give a shit about that hour of sleep that's fine but what, you know, you wouldn't really be losing anything because right. you lose one hour now and then yeah. you gain one later. It it's it's all works out zero, in the wash. Yeah. So you'll just have 365 24-hour days instead of 365 uh, 63 24-hour days, one 23-hour day, and one 25-hour day. When you put it that way, it's not. So we really said, fuck them farmers. Well, it was never. I ended up doing a lot of reading about daylight savings time on Wikipedia because I was like, people say that, but I don't think that's really what it was. And it really wasn't that. What it was that it was that during World War One in Europe they instituted daylight savings time to try to cut down on energy. Um, oh, what? Yeah, because because what happens when you're on standard time is that you end up using more energy uh, at night because it gets darker. Or I'm sorry, you end up using more energy in the morning. Oh, because <clears throat> it's darker all right. the time and burning candles and uh, eventually electricity. It became a problem. So during the war, they decided to sort of ration it that way. Oh. Now, countries with certain climates and stuff close to the equator were like never y'all. used no. it, or yeah. thing, or like countries at certain elevations never used it because it wouldn't make a meaningful difference. It's right. really only for like Europe and the United States. 
Australia sort of does it. Parts of South America sort of do it, but most most places don't do it. But it was an energy saving thing. But it had nothing to do with farmers in particular. Like oh. I don't know where that ur- urban legend came from. Like I'm sure it had some sort of impact on them. I think it was how it was taught to grade schoolers at at the time because there was no mention of World War whatever. It was like because it was like why do we do this? And it was like well you know if back in the olden days you would want to get your work done on the farm when it was you know cooler out yeah no it what didn't no that had nothing to do with it because the other thing that i'd kind of always known this but never connected it to daylight savings time like you do realize that following even a clock for your day wasn't a thing until 1883 there were no time zones until then because the because t- the trains because there was no meaningful mode of transportation or right. like communication that made made it matter if it was noon where you were and it wasn't <clears throat> noon where somebody else it was it was never going to get there in a small enough time frame to make that Im- impact right so it didn't matter so like this idea that it would be meaningful for farmers it's like didn't matter where you were in the country or the world if you wanted to get up and work while it was cool you could do that daylight savings time or no that's true nobody was keeping track yeah nobody felt followed a set schedule except in your town i feel like yeah and even it was then, trains it's like, that made all this yeah. possible and we started going on standardized time but so then, yeah, so during World War One, they do it as an energy-saving thing, and then later on, the United States decides to adopt this because retailers advocated for it because people shop more if they have some light after work. Yeah. Which I'm assuming is why they're doing this now, because we're running out of treats, so we got to give everybody something. Uh, however, as a night person, I'm all for it. There's, you know, the morning people on the internet right now are losing their goddamn minds. Because they love standard time because it's light when they get up. When they rise and yeah, grind at 4.30 yeah. in the morning, they're yeah, like, no, I, don't care. I want it to be light before work so I can drop off my kids, not in the dark, or I can go for a run, or I can go fuck to the you gym. Fuck you, kids. And to them, I say, fuck you. The night owls will persevere. I'm, I'm on the side of capital. Also, it's case. mostly like kind of bright at 7 in the morning. Well, what they're saying, and it is true, is that during uh, a large chunk of the year, the tables will be turned on them. It won't get light outside until 8 a.m. in some time zones and even 9 a.m. close to the middle of the country. Ooh. And that's going to make people flip out. 9 a.m. sunrise. Oh, so sorry. Oh, guess what? 3.30 p.m. The sun's going down. Oh, too bad, night owls. Yeah, well, guess what? Fuck you. Thank you, Marco Rubio. Well, Really? Yeah, he's the one that introduced it. But everybody in the Senate voted for it. They were like, yeah, we don't care. Yeah. And it leads me to believe that it will actually probably pass, which, you know, by the end of 2023, that's what they're shooting for. Mm-hmm. We'll, ca- we'll have to do it uh, two more times, and then we'll be done. Why? We'll have to do it in the fall, and then oh. we'll have to do it in the spring of 2023. Why? But there will be no... We're on daily saving time already, so fuck it. Why, why go back? I don't, they're, they're trying to give businesses time to implement this, because you do realize things are scheduled in advance. Yeah, but... Time is airlines, a... things like this. They have their flight plans probably worked out for a couple of years. Hypothetically. Uh, uh, mm, yeah, but even still, like time time is relative. So you just be like ten. What are you gonna do? I don't know, man. I, I'm gonna take them at their word that in a complex globalized economy, as we've all been learning lately, you can't just flip switches and expect mm-hmm. good results. That's true. So I'm yeah. willing to give them two more times huh. to never yeah. have to do it again. Yeah, whatever. I, I'm not, I'm like, we're back. Life is good. No, I, I literally went, oh, the time is back. The light time is back. Great. Fortunately, we do have to stay open later because we will make money now that the people will stay out. And I said, I'm not happy about it either. Yeah. I wish we could just start at 11, like normal human, like Europeans. 10 a.m. No one should be shopping. 
Well, the Europeans, I don't know why they ever did daylight savings time at all. Like, things in Europe are only open from, like, 10 to noon and then, like, 2 to 5, and everybody's closed the rest of the time. It's like living in Los Angeles. Can't get a good meal anytime. I mean, that's why drive throughs so many drive throughs Can't get a good meal. Yeah. You're going to get sure, a meal. You can get a vegan Del Taco. Ooh, vegan yeah. Del Taco. Yeah, they have a lot of vegan options there. Really? Del Taco has a massive menu, yeah. I haven't gone in the past several times I've been there. It's not good. There's no reason to go. It's very bad. It's mm, it's specific. I'll say this. It's a specific taste. Not good. Not good. Specific. But anywho. Yeah. Um, oh. Ooh. But yeah, anyway, I thought that was great news. I'm excited about that. But that doesn't... Yeah, do we? I hope the morning people don't win. And I have a feeling they won't. There's not enough of you rising grinders. You failed. You've lost. Also, isn't You're that kind of the joy of being a rising grind person? Of like, it's quiet. It's still. It's still a little dark. Like, you know, you clearly don't get dark time because you're going to bed at eight thirty p.m. So you can get up at four. So like, right. have some dark time. You you have to sit with yourself in the dark now. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You don't get the the beauty of oh wow the and sun hey, rises guess what? with me. Like, you still get off work at the same time as the rest of us. So you're gonna get the same amount of light anyway. But I guess they're going to be pissed because they're going to be like children going to bed when it's still bright outside at 830. Uh-huh. That's why they're mad. Yeah, whatever. Get some blackout curtains. Learn to live with it. I mean, the rising crime people are the reason why the world is bad. Well, they're the reason why the world is annoying. Yeah, but like, think about it. Like, why does a Starbucks need to be open at six in the morning? Yeah, it's for those people. That's yeah. true. Yeah. So they can get to the office at... 6 30 or 7 and go i've been here for two hours it's like who gives a fuck you're not <laughs> doing anything because no one else is up to respond to your fucking emails and you look like a sociopath shit calm down like i i start getting emails around 9 15 if i'm lucky the automated ones come in at like six and i go fuck you I'm trying to sleep here yeah it's always nice to see emails that come in at like three or four in the morning and you're like, okay, so either this person is traveling and it's forgivable. Yeah. Um, they were out and on cocaine. Mm, forgivable. Pass. Yeah. Uh, or they're a rise and grind person. Absolutely unforgivable. They should be sent to a camp. Sending an email at three in the morning? Four, I go, well, you might get up. But I don't wake up and go, time to make some money moves. Mark Wahlberg gets up at three in the morning. Yeah, and he, like, goes to church and, like, does a thousand crunches. Like, yeah. I'm not trying to be him. He also, didn't he kill a guy? <laughs> yeah, he hate crime to Vietnamese guy very proudly. Yeah, that's not, like... But hold... you know what? 9-11 never would have happened if he boarded that flight. And I think we all know that. <sighs> I don't think so, but, you know, I don't think he was going to... What was that Miami movie? What? Remember that movie set in Miami where he, like, they're trying to own a gym? Oh, Pain and Gain. That's one of my favorite movies. I a modern it. retelling of Of Mice and Men with Rock as a retard and Mark Wahlberg as uh, the other guy, George. I don't. I never read Mice and Men, so I have no oh, idea really? what you're talking about. Oh, my God. I w- that was, that was for, they didn't make you read that in school? That's one of the only school books I remember reading. For honors classes, we did not read Mice and Men. Oh, that was for, for you college prep peons. <laughs> I did, yeah, I, I don't know. We Talk were, about lording it over people. You were a rising grinder as a teenager. No, I was a stay up until two in the morning getting all this shit done. Going, oh no, this is not going to happen. Oops. And now, you know, to this day, how do you, how do you undo all of the like, uh, 
sleeping behaviors that you did to yourself very i don't know i I don't think there's a way to unwire that no i think they they call it like your chronometer like people are fundamentally wired differently jedis as far as their uh sleep schedules go and their daylight tolerance and stuff and what they like so if you're the type of person that likes to go to bed late and get up late, like part of that is just inherent. There isn't that much you can do about it. You can dial it back, though. I think part of my problem right now, why I'm feeling so fatigued, is that I was doing really good at dialing it back. And then I've had a busy like work and social calendar for like three, three weeks in a row. And I've been trying desperately to cling on to like, you still got to get up early. You still got to do it. And that's just not how life goes. It's wearing me down. I yeah. do. I do need a day where I actually just sleep till eleven again. One, four. Well, that's no. the thing. I used <laughs> to do it like yeah. I used to have like three or four, of the, you know, eleven hours of sleep days, and I don't do that anymore. And maybe I just need to give in, give in, let go, and let God, and just let the natural chronometer take over. Naps again. Always going to advocate for the nap. Yeah, I know, but I feel like this is along the same lines where that's just sort of an inherent thing. Right. It's not that I don't like doing it. It's that I'm incapable of it. Yeah. I come from a family of nappers. A long line yeah, of nappers. Yeah, not, not me. Every every day, like, so... Uh, in the summertime, I would, I would get, you know, get dropped off, you know, at my grandparents' house like eight-ish or something. And then maybe if I was a little sleepy, I would be like, I need to go sleep a little bit. Maybe a half hour more. And then it'd be like, okay, time to go wake grandpa up, go make the coffee, take it upstairs. It's like nine-ish, 8.45, nine-ish. And then, do-do-do, putter around. Okay, he's going to go have two beers and play bocce until around two. Come back, have a little late lunch, as European old men do. And then snoring on the couch for a good hour 15. And I'm like, yeah, this is great. That's a pretty typical grandpa thing, but you're saying you absorbed that at a young age. You were like, that's normal. I think I was just like, <laughs> this is great. Cause I would also like, cause I was little, so I would nap at the same time. So like, you know, when grandma would watch young and the restless and grandpa was snoring on the couch, I'd be like, I'm going to go take a nap. So I don't know. I think it's just genetic. There is some, like, maybe a genetic thing where it's like, no, no, we're too European for this. We nap at 2 o'clock. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and I'm I like, know. well, what if you just nap at 7? Well, I think that is a thing you can control hmm. that would perhaps put you in a better rhythm. But what do I know? I mean... But then that would make me a rising grind person because then I would jump out of bed at 6 going, ah! Would you, though? I don't think you would. I... Because you'll take a night nap and then still not get up. No. At a decent hour, so I'm not sure. Mm, when I was getting up at 5.55 most <sighs> days of the week, I was, like, gleeful to do it, and I would be so mad if I had to, like, sleep in, because I'd be like, you're fucking up my rhythm here. Like, I'd be like, mm, fine. Or I would just be like, I'm coming in very late. I, I will see you at 2. I feel like I've said this on the podcast before, but maybe not. It's just a thing I've thought for a long time is if the day was 25 hours long, I would be a lot better off. Or I'm sorry, maybe like 26. 26. I needed two extra hours in the day, and everything would be good. Because you could either fill those with sleep, or you could have a totally different work schedule. I mean, really think about it. If I could work 9 to... um, Or I'm sorry, no. If I could work like 11 to 7 rather than 9 to 5, I would absolutely 100% take that schedule. Mm. Every day. 
it's not great. I mean, that's called second shift. That's with or mids. That's with the caveat two extra that hours the, of living that life. That the yeah. day is two hours longer. Mm-hmm. So that way, if you want to stay up two hours at night or get up, you know, two hours early, like you you have all the same amount of time that you have now. Right. I just need two extra hours of sleep. Right. Like at all times or the option for two extra hours of sleep, even mm. if I don't utilize it. Well, fair. Yeah. You know, like my life would be greatly improved if I could get up at 9 a.m. That's my ideal time. Like on a weekend, yeah. I usually try to get up at eight and snooze until 830 or nine. Oh, that's too early. No, no. We if uh, off days are for waking up at 10. That's too late, though. I, I am a convert on this at this point. Double digit number is too late. You can't do that. Even past nine, I don't like. If I if I could become the type of person that got up at seven or seven thirty on weekends, I I would absolutely do it. But I can't. I can't do it. No, because um, <clears throat> I like the night too much. You know, it's I'm an appreciator of the night hours. An appreciator of the night hours. Title of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I like the I like the low energy relaxation vibes of the night. <laughs> you don't have to do anything. You can if you want to. And you can keep the energy flowing as long as you're able. But the general vibe of night is just chilling, man. Um, and I like that. <clears throat> but, the, I mean, on the contrary, we do live in New York City where nightlife is a... Well, that's what I'm saying. You're, you can thing. avail yourself of that option if you right. want to. But even that is, like, not strenuous. It's socializing. It's but mostly it's not having like late dinner and yeah, yeah, doing nothing. Yeah, It's all fun stuff. Yeah. Night is for fun. Yeah, no one, uh, I don't know. As someone who usually, if I have to work at night, it's until 9.30 p.m. or 10 p.m. Or back in the day, it would be 11.30, and I would go, I hate everybody. Um, you know, night is just like, you, you You know, if you leave work, late, like in your imaginary scenario, like I used to do 11 to 8 all the time, right? But it'd be like nice, you get out of work, and you're like, I'm going to have a late dinner, I'm going to treat myself, or I'm going to stop, you know, have a beer on the way home. Yeah, sure. Because it's nighttime. It's the prime hour for doing something like yeah. that. Yeah. But like, and it's like not, you know, you missed happy hour, so fuck you. But it's not 4 p.m. Like, because you did 7 to 4 and you're like, hi, it's 4.15. I would like beer, please. And people are like, what the fuck are you doing here right <laughs> yeah. now? Like, too early. Too early. Are you European? No. Just insane. Um, Feed me now. Um, Like that, you know, it's un- it's a little more in the rhythm of things going around you to be like hmm, eight, eight o'clock's okay to be have take a little walk yeah, about sure. you know agreed not bad um yeah i don't know no i can't wait I, driving home with still a little bit of light in the sky Ooh, baby just loving that oh yeah i mean i get off earlier than you and i fully have like an hour and a half right now and it will quickly become two hours. Even at seven o'clock today, I was like, oh, dusk. I'm so happy because I can put my sunglasses on at the end of the day as well as the beginning of the day. Do you wear them on the train underground? A hundred percent I do. Yeah. Okay. That just makes you look like you've done rails of cocaine all day. Maybe I have. What do they know? Okay. I need that. I need to look wily on the subway. It's dangerous these days. You don't want people fucking with you. What, European tourists smoking cigarettes inside the train? <laughs> it's not European tourists doing it, buddy. I'll tell you okay. that. <laughs> well, the only time I've seen it, 
again. I don't know. Some young French person. You can't smoke on trains in Europe. They wouldn't do that. I don't believe you. This is a lie. Why yeah, are you was, lying on the podcast? Right I, it now? was someone who was affecting a European sensibility. What are you talking about? Are you talking about a young person? Yeah, it was just a young person who. It was just a young person being a dick, or it was a homeless person that you mistaked for a European because you have so much scorn for anyone outside of your own little narcissistic world. Whoa. Okay. Read me to filth. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um,. <laughs> No, I and so much arbitrary hatred for Europeans, even though you would have a better life if you lived there, as mm, we've discussed. Yeah, that could go sixty forty. Um, you just said you took up napping because your family's so European, and then the next breath out of your mouth is like, "Fuck those Frenchmen for smoking <laughs> cigarettes on my subway, my dirty filthy." I said subway. European. I didn't say French. <laughs> Fuck the French. I mean, no, 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 no. Like, let's not get it twisted. Um, we don't give the French any respect. Um. But no, Eric Adams said he was going to clean up the subway, and so far I haven't seen that. He's not doing it. I am so glad I don't take the subway very often. I really am. You know, I'm just giving in to being. Yeah, a baby had a subway day on Saturday, and it was just really traumatic for him. Oh, it was so gross it was and undignified. Like nothing. Ugh, nothing worked. Yeah, nothing what do you mean works, nothing man? works? Nothing works in this It's city a weekend. Anymore. People are trying to get places on their day off, and you're making it hard. No, nothing works anymore. It's fine. Just so they're more tired on the days where they're trying to rest? <gasps> no. How dare you? Yeah, I don't know. It's pretty well, well-trod territory, man. I don't really know how much I want to go over the... That's uh, fine. I, yeah. The train's not running on time. What is this, we're, Italy? Yeah, where's Mussolini? I know. We need him, don't we? Where, where's my dictator? I think I'm going to... You know what? We should just move to Russia. That's the move. Uh, you want the trains know. to run on time. That's where you go. I don't know about that. That's where you go. They're going to have to become autarkic pretty soon. Goodbye, Green and Lewis. No talking about anything at all. I mean, all we got to do is just talk nice about Vlad, my buddy, my <laughs> dude, my dude, Vladdy P. What up? Are you Tucker Carlson right now? Like, what, <laughs> this, you're, you're just, uh, we'll get you bow ties. What we'll, is happening? That's Tucker Carlson. Well, I'm not alarmed. I'm just I'm down with I'm down with Vlad P. Dead ass. <sighs> Sorry, I'm not gonna that talk was I'm not, not gonna <laughs> talk about the war. I'm not gonna do that was uh, a choice Zoomer of New York slang anymore. Yeah, or you're how many times in your life have you ever been to the Bronx? Uh once to go to Target to buy an iPad. <laughs> yeah, let's leave the dead ass out of the vocabulary. Thank you so much. You know, people all over the country say dead ass now. I know it's disgusting. I don't know what it, what that even means. My sister said it to me a couple of years ago, like in earnest, and I let it pass, but I did notice it. I think that's a TikTok thing. No, it's not a TikTok thing. This this was even it? like before TikTok was prominent. It is a um, Twitter dot com thing. No, no, my sister's not a Twitter. Per- I mean, every every day, like corn fed Americans say dead ass because it's just gotten into the lingo of the country. Huh? It's. I'm just going to say it. It's a wigger thing. And that is a lot of society. Okay. okay? And that's not even a racial thing. It's just that's how it gets there. I'm just saying it starts with street kids in New York and then it enters the the cultural bloodstream. And before you know it, every person of a certain socioeconomic status and pop cultural identification is saying it. (sighs) And we all know where that comes from. And I'm only going to say it once, but... You know I'm right. Okay. (sighs) 
I did see a tweet once that it was a pair of Timberlands like cut into the layers of the the shoe. It was like in New York, you have to you know dissect a a pair of boots. I was like, yeah, I learned about this in my intro to Deadass class, and I thought that was a good joke. <laughs> Do you like the deadpan oh delivery of that? I'm just laughing at you, <laughs> thinking it was funny. I was like, but it wasn't like a, aha. Uh-huh. It was more like a, hmm, hmm. You know that level of funny where you're like, I I appreciate this. That's an old person level of funny where you're like. I get these references. <laughs> That's what it means. That's what it means. You're like, I know, I know what... I'm too old to be understanding this, yet I do. Touche, youth culture. Yes, correct. I have bested you for I, one more day. I have found a workaround. I am relevant. Mm. I am hip, and I am with it. As my star fades, I'll still be here. One oh, more day. Boy. I mean, I, I don't know. I I keep getting... So, you know, as we love talking about targeted ads, so like... You know, the 2000s indie renaissance is really happening at Brooklyn Steel right now and all sorts of, like, venues across uh, the Great Borough. Like, there's an Interpol show at some point this month, and I said, excuse me, what? You want to go? I kind of do. I kind of do, too. But I also know that it's going to be bad. Here's the thing. It's going to suck because they're going to play music that's not from their first two albums. So and I, I don't won't know. know any <laughs> I of it. I don't know. It. Yeah. Uh, however, I haven't been to a live show in a long time, and, like, you know... To hear them play some stuff from, like, Turn on the Bright Lights or whatever? Hell yeah. But it's just the front man. No one else is in the band. Yeah, that happened with a lot of those indie bands. The Shins are the same way. Death Cab for Cutie is the same way. It really was just always one person anyway. I think Spoon is that way, too. Like, it's usually just the front man who's the songwriter, and all the instruments are interchangeable. It doesn't really matter. Eh. They didn't contribute anything. You do realize that, right? I mean... That's not always true. With the Strokes, like, it was, like, mostly, like, the one... Albert Hammond doing all of the work, mm-hmm. and then Julian would just show up. Yeah, uh, you know, I don't know a lot about the Strokes, but uh, you, but that you know, it's the same principle though. That one member of the band is usually the mastermind. Yeah, it tends to be the lead vocalist because they have to do all the narrative work. They have to do the PR work and the PR work. They have to get the interviews and be like, "So what's this about? What's this song about?" I think it's very rare that bands are like truly collaborative with every member. And and then, you know, there's a certain status that bands can achieve when they escape the indie orbit and you become like a radio play band where you can't break up anymore because people have too much investment in the members. But you below a certain the level, Black Keys, it basically? doesn't matter. No, but the Black Keys were like a garage rock band of two people. I believe that they were truly collaborative. I don't think it was just one guy. I don't know the no, band members' names. but Patrick and... I forgot his other name. You should be ashamed of yourself. Why do you have knowledge of this? They were clients of mine. Oh, mm, humble brag, Beachwood Mall. Mm-hmm. I dressed those boys for many years. Oh man, everyone thought they were just like grungy guys from Akron, but no, no they have. They were going to the they fanciest have so mall much fucking Ohio, money. <laughs> going to Bahama Breeze and enjoying a mai tai. Yeah, they were probably going to fucking what's it, Maggiano's for a little <laughs> light light treat, you know. Wow, shouts out to Cuyahoga County. How many listeners out there get these references? <laughs> a McCormick and Schmicks for some crab and mm. shrimp toast. Yeah, maybe go to Slimans for a corned beef sandwich. I don't know what that is. Mm. Um, no, they're rich. They just pump out Ford commercials every day. Um, no, there, there's. I was thinking about this too because there's also like um, that book, um, Meet Me in the Bathroom, is turning into like a mini series, docu series. I don't think I know that book. Who wrote it? Hold. 
It's somewhere. Do you don't see look it? for it. Just tell me because I we're don't, recording a podcast. I don't podcast know who wrote it. It's Lizzie book. something. So I don't know. Okay. But what's the book about? It's about all the like New York, in, like the things that we listen to in Ohio going, wow, is that what the city's like? Wow. And then you realize, no. It's I mean, like, I don't know if I had that attitude towards it. You can speak for yourself. But okay, I get what you're saying. It's like about the National and Interpol is what you're saying. And then later, mostly v- like, Vampire Weekend. It's mostly like, yeah, you have your strokes, your Interpol. Yeah. Uh, LCD sound system. Oh, of course. Um, who are the other ones? The Yeah Yeah Yeahs. They were a New York band. Yeah. Oh, okay. See, like I wasn't, I wasn't into m- that type of music by location. Indie music just kind of came of, came to me, and I thought of it as the universal sound of the time. The hip hop I was into, I knew what cities they were from. Yeah. But I did. I didn't have that kind of identification with indie rock. But anyway, well, you could tell like who was a Brooklyn band and who was a New York band. And what New York, I think like, I can tell you know, that now. But yeah. what I'm saying is, at the time, I didn't know the difference. I yeah. couldn't. I couldn't tell. It's very obvious in retrospect, though. I, I couldn't quite put my finger on it. I'm not good at describing music, but I think you can really. There's a dis, there was a distinctive New York sound of like the era of the early 2000s. Uh, you know, Vice. Basically, Dash, that no. yeah, that, like it's that all shit, of yeah. a piece. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all of a whole like zone of like you know. City wasn't cheap enough anymore to really be like you know the seventies. Well, it or 80s. was, but rich kids were bringing the slumming. Heat. Yeah. yeah, they were slumming because they could you know get a lot of you know mileage out of daddy's money, you know, like way more than we ever could. They they could just be like, well, my my trust fund. I just bought my apartment with the trust fund. Yeah. Um. So it's it's you know it's a whole different ball game now. Like you know they weren't oligarchs' kids. They were like just rich kids. Well, they were ol- they were oligarchs kids but they were like first gen <laughs> right or second gen they weren't they weren't the the swine of the zoomers that like have no ambition and don't do anything with the money you mean Except like ketamine what is anyway. this a thing with the children too oh, i mean it's also a thing with me i'm trying to get some ketamine if anybody can what, what? find me some go to a circuit party and just be like hey you're cute and then walk out <sighs> How could I emotionally abuse a poor gay man that way? That's what they're there for. <laughs> you do it to me every day. I don't know what the fuck this is about. Like, well, you can't guilt. get me ketamine. <laughs> no, I cannot. Um, anyway, you're making a point about bands and stuff in this book. Oh, what I don't know. I was saying? just like, you know, like I'm getting all of this and like I'm getting, you know, the, the ads and the shows and like, I'm like, oh, I don't have, I almost have a nostalgia for it, but I'm also like, mm, I don't care. Like, See, you know, I've been going through... Like, do I want to scratch an itch and be like, ooh, wow, wasn't it fun to be young? And I'm like, no, I didn't have as much fun in my youth. I was about to say that I have no interest in, like, rehashing that era, except that I just watched that Kanye documentary about the making of College Dropout, and it did make me incredibly nostalgic for that era of Kanye and hip-hop, and I've been revisiting a lot of the music that I listened to at that time Uh and genuinely feeling something, which I, I don't... I don't know if it's actually nostalgia, but it is a recognition that, like, wow, actually things were more quality. Mm. When I listen to College Dropout, in retrospect, after not having listened to it for a really pretty long time, uh, I can see the vision in it. In a way, when you're young and you're listening to it, you're like, oh, this is just new music. And in a way, it's sort of indistinguishable from anything else you're listening to. You don't have, like, an aesthetic criteria for things they just kind of come your way and you're into it or you're not into right. it right but l- listening to that album in retrospect i was like wow like this is stunningly different from other things that were being made the production holds up to this day it has like 
just in orchestration and composition that defines it from other hip hop of the time, but other music. And then you can just see the echoes of uh, a lot of current things in it. Well, all yeah. all of this one piece, you know. Yeah. So I don't know if that's nostalgia. Is it? I don't uh, think of. so. It, it, it's saying that the past if was like if better, but not necessarily ideal. I can just see the value now. Mm. But you're saying uh, the statement of like, well, things were of quality. It's like, well, it's just a different kind of quality and one that you're more familiar with. Because I'm sure that there are things happening right now that you just don't know about. But Maybe, you're like, but it, I don't it, know. I don't think so. I don't know about that. Because, it, because it, back then there was no internet, you know. So, yeah, there was. Yeah, but not in the same form that it exists now. Not the speed by which, yeah. There wasn't the speed and it wasn't as pervasive. There was no smartphones, man. You checked email at home or at work. You didn't have it on your commute, you know? Right. You couldn't learn about a war happening until it came on the TV, you know? Mm. We all learned about 9-11 an hour after it happened because everyone was putting the puzzle pieces together, you know? Like, that's not a thing anymore. Um. So without that kind of transmission and speed, it's like you're saying like, yeah, there's things I don't know about, but it's like there might be, but those things are on TikTok or on what, like Twitch, SoundCloud, Discord, like, and I use some of these services too. So it's, and they filter into other services at the speed of light. So you're exposed to them, whether you're on the platforms or not. Right. So I do know what's happening. At least in a lot of corners of the internet, you can't possibly know all of it. Right. But it's also that leveling effect of knowing all of that information in part and getting it all at speed that, like, makes quality distinctions not make that much sense anymore. Except I think you can say that something like TikTok, like, there might be really great content on TikTok, right? But it's just content and it's a degeneration from college dropout. I think you would have to admit that. Any rapper that makes their career on the internet today is not going to have the same visionary sense that Kanye West could in 2003. You mean Island Boys are not holding up to, you know, college dropout? I doubt it. <laughs> I don't think anything's going to hold I don't think anything's going to hold up to things before 2012 very well. I think that's maybe the like the 20 early 2010s were maybe the last definable period of anything. Mm. And everything's been thoroughly leveled since then. Um just uh, I mm-hmm. Can I pose this to you? Because I was reading a Reddit comment uh, before you got home that was interesting and it was contentious uh, online. Do we live in a dystopia? Can we admit that? Oh. Like, you know, it's a very Mm -hmm. cliche thing to say that, like, George Orwell was right or whatever. But when you look at... About which one? You know, about about 1984, Doublethink... misinformation spheres of influence like all of this stuff is real thing now right in a way that was called out a long time ago but like at what point have you crossed that rubicon and can you admit it to yourself and i think that the responses to it were interesting because it seemed genuinely split 50 50 between people that could say like make this hard judgment in the same sense that i'm making it about college dropout that like things were better in the past in very definable and obvious ways and have degenerated recently quickly and the people that were saying on the other side of the coin against that that this is always 
the state of things. You're just waking up to it now. Right. There's no way to say that it's worse now than it's been at other times. It's just different qualia. And I don't know. I think my I think my bias on this is pretty clear based on all of our conversations. I think it's pretty obvious that we in my mind that we've crossed some kind of Rubicon into dystopia. It wasn't a moment, but gradually and fairly quickly, I think you can just see that all around you. Well, I mean, you know, wasn't it such a wonderful time when you could just like do a little bloop bloops and get a car home or do a little bloop bloops and then food arrived, you know, like, oh, how wonderful until like, you know, the real, you know, abuses get to start happening towards like restaurants, workers, etc., including users where they're just like, here's some fees. We don't know where they go, but we're going to take them from you. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, what's it for? You're already taking from the restaurant and the person delivering it and me. Whoa. Why am I? What? No. How? Huh? It's you know. a monopolization fee, right? right like, yeah. we've cornered the market and we have you by the ball, so whatever. This is just, you know, convenience <laughs> tax. And yeah. you're like, set by whomst. Like, none of it makes sense. So you're like, oh, all the, like, you know, the, you know, residual, um, like, nicety about ease is now just like, oh, this is gross. Like, automation... You know, people will sing the praises of, like, certain things that get automated or, like, oh, it's just so much easier with a little tap of a button or whatever. It's like, yeah, a tap of a button causes someone in an Amazon warehouse to have a fucking panic attack and have to run, you know, half a mile to pick up your one thing that you're going to get shipped maybe in three days. Right. That's a that's a well-known um, psychological test. You've heard of this, right? Like, you press the button and you don't know what will happen when you do, but if you press it, you get $100,000. Do you press it or not? And in our case, it's like you press the button, you uh, order a new set of bike shorts off Amazon, but yeah, you've sent someone's life into scrambling chaos for 15 minutes while they sort it out and find it, and they can't go to the bathroom. Like, you know that it's happening and you're still doing it. You know, additionally, there's an experiment that was run after World War II where they were curious, like, how did this happen? How did the complicity in the Holocaust and, like, fascism happen? And they would do this experiment where there was a subject and a person behind, like, a two-way mirror that they couldn't see. Mm -hmm. And they would hit a button and tell them, every time you hit this button, you're uh, ramping up the pain on the person behind the two-way mirror Hmm. and there was no person behind the two-way mirror but they would give them prompts and say like if this was the situation would you hit the button and they would hit it and they would say okay now the pain is going to get four times as bad here's the the new hypothetical do you hit the button what's the hypothetical i I forget what they were but like maybe crimes that the person had supposedly committed or like reasons to hate them right? right or punish them and they would give them these and they would keep increasing the pain and the non-existent person behind the glass would also be making sounds that they could hear. Oh. They would be simulating like screams yeah, and sounds people of are pains fucking and things. Yeah. And what they realized through the course of that experiment was that the vast, vast, vast majority of people like above 90% would push that button until the person died and not feel bad about it. Hmm. So when you're talking about like, you know, cause we can sit here and have a conversation about like, 
automation and things like that and blame it on capital till the cows come home. But there's an interesting psychological factor in this in this idea that have we crossed into a dystopia when like after the Holocaust, that's possible. And then several generations later, when you don't have that immediate trauma, people are still doing it knowingly, pervasively, quickly. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean... And everyone's also doing it to you, by the way, because if you're reading the news and you're thinking about the war and it's weighing on your brain like it was on, on me in the last episode or all the time, like, yeah. I'm having it done to me, too, and I'm almost volunteering for it. Yeah, you, you are. You know? Yeah. Um, I mean, if I knew more or actually, like, read the Marquis de Sade, I would have something to say about, like, masochism. Like, people... Like, people are not masochism, sadism. Like, people, like, would be much better, uh, not maybe more, not, eh, not necessarily well adjusted, but just more honest with themselves if they were just like, you know, pain has a function and I like my power, you know, that I have, whatever it might be. Or also, like, you know, when, if in that particular, uh, study or whatever, like, you're giving someone power. And if you're giving like a general population a sense of power for the first time, if they're just like schmoes who don't have any or don't have a little kingdom in their head, oh, they're going to bask in it once you give it to them. And it's, you know, it's a dangerous thing and you have to, you know, know when to reel it back and be like, um, yeah, but it's a Pandora's box, right? Because imagine how difficult it would be right now to, do the rational thing, which would be to say, like, basically, internet usage should be forcibly limited to less than an hour a day. We could maybe t- turn back some societal troubles if that trigger was actually pulled. I mean, China does this to, like, their their children. They say, like, we know video games are bad. Um, you're limited to one hour a day and two on weekends, and you can't go over that. Oh. Um, really? Imagine trying... Yeah. Imagine trying to impose that on americans oh good luck like uh, there's kind of no putting it back now and so when you're talking about like sadism especially when people feel disempowered that's really what you mean like the experiment gives them a small amount of power but that's even worse when you're it's not the 1950s anymore they literally don't have a little kingdom of their house in the suburbs most people are you know 64 percent of people are paycheck to paycheck it's really hand to mouth right now here let alone like a lot of other places in the world world, it's it's pretty bad and so but you have that added up with the exchange of that information and that disempowerment like amplifying it yeah you're in in a real bad way i mean more like you know a mind palace little kingdom like any any sense of themselves that they they have ownership or you know or like "Mm, this is my realm of expertise or my realm of like i'm good at some at you know playing squash or whatever like if you have people who are kind of good at nothing which is also what we as a you know social structure kind of have conditioned people to be kind of generally mediocre at too much you want people to be good at consuming and consumed ironically by consumption that you don't you don't want them really uh focusing on skills right well all the skills are just like either emotional labor or transactional labor high paying ones now too this is why you have people who are like i have no real kingdom because my thing is just greasing wheels to keep things moving 
That's why yeah. marketing exists, you know. Um, day traders, etc. It's just like, we're just keeping the things moving. Like, okay, so go grab a shovel and get, you know, start tossing some coal because that's what you're doing, whether you like it or not. And that's what where the schism happens, at least in America, where it's like, I have my little kingdom. And it's like, no, you're just a coal shoveler. Shut the fuck up. Well, that's what financialization has wrought, right? Like the th- the more that things move away from a material materially defined productive economy into an economy of moving things around, moving yeah. money around. Most of the game is keeping it running because when it stalls is when you have problems, right. as we've all learned, you know. So it's a, it's a necessary evil the like psychic sh- coal shoveling um that's going on, but you know in what sense is that different than like a Soviet bureaucracy? Like they had a different problem, which was this stalls easier. Like capitalism moves at a, at a higher velocity than a centralized economy, but you end up in the same situation where you have a um, habitually reinforced bureaucracy of just of pushers, right? Pushers of a system. With increasingly less substance at its core. Herbalife. That weird... What's the leggings company? Lululemon? No. MeUndies? Also a scam. Um, LuLaRoe. Do you know about LuLaRoe? Every lady who listens to this podcast is like, I learned that podcast! So LuLaRoe was like... It was an MLM where you you sold leggings online to Facebook friends. But the only way to make money was to get more ladies to buy leggings to sell leggings. So entire, like, small, like, bedroom communities would just be filled with ladies trying to sell leggings to each other. Sure. And get each other to sell leggings until the point where they were all involved. And they were like, well, we're losing money because I just bought all these leggings. But there's no one to buy my leggings for me because they're all bought their own. Yeah. Yeah. Sell. I mean, that's an MLM or a pyramid scheme. Yeah. You're left holding the bag. Yes. Yeah. Um they were just like shitty, like, um, but it was like, that was the most recent one where, you know, I don't know. Now we've moved on in, in bored suburban life of going to thrift stores and buying things, nice things that people have given away and marking them up 80 times the thrift store retail. Yeah, sure. Shop sure. But what we were talking, what we were talking about is the confluence of a large scale MLM on the level of a nation state or a global civilization right. coupled with the absolute sadism of knowing that that's what the situation is. Even if most like American people can't articulate that, I think on some level, like the populist anger that gives rise to like Trump and people like this are, uh, is absolutely this recognition that we know that this is failing and we can't do anything about it yet we want to fuck you up because of it yeah that's the thing it's always this kind of idea of like even going back to like the um the goodwill people like i have taste so i'm gonna lord my power and i'm gonna get paid for it And it's like no you don't have to you're just buying from a thrift store like i don't right well so i want to but i want to but it's about spheres of perceived levels of power yeah and how that Again, the sadism of that is just like, like, ooh, do I get to wield my power for profit? Which is what happens, you know. Well, that's what everybody's trying to do. Uh, that's what they think is going to happen. And you're like, well, no, 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 you're holding the bag. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the necessary fictions that greases the wheels of the whole thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, did but, I lose but, that? No, no. That, I, I think that that's actually the perfect segue when you said, like, all these spheres of influence, like, 
with sadism involved is back to the original point of like it's trite but have we crossed the rubicon into a dystopia and how do you know that and so we just talked for 10 or 15 minutes about like symptoms right yeah and then a lot of people would tell you like no that's just how it always has been and i don't think that's true i do i don't think that whether you're talking about like economics or the psychology of these economics that people really at any other time believed that they lived in a global Ponzi scheme. I think you'd have a hard time making the argument that somebody in 1850 thought that they might've realized that the factory owners were like really fucking them over and that their hands were getting crushed in all the machines, but it was pretty localized. And you know that kid fell down well last week. And yeah. Fish him out. Yeah. Well, their terror and fear. And you know, it, it's obvious why that would lead to things like unionization and stuff like very practical efforts to address your local situation, but they right. didn't have a fear that the world can end because of it. Mm. Whether it was well, an economic, like, uh, global catastrophe or an asteroid, like, don't look up, or a nuclear war. Like, they, there was just no conception that that was a, even a possibility. So to argue that, like, where we are now is meaningfully better than that when the existential stakes are so much higher is no, weird. No, I, I think what... I think what you're describing is more so like, because, you know, like a Gen Z thing is like, LOL, world ending. It's the worst period in history. Sick. Like... I think the unspoken anxiety is that most people will would admit to themselves that they're in a much worse position than they thought like they would ever be in because they were sold the thing of like, oh no, every generation gets better, you'll make more you know, blah blah blah, house house two point five kids, one point five dogs, you know, heterosexual wife Helen, you know. Sure. But no and you know, whatever your like attempts are are like an admittance of well it's not going to get better so i got to do whatever i i can do to get one up on somebody so i can achieve something in my life cuz otherwise it's just like stone mill like you know okay so listen nerds you know ocarina of time you know when you you know do the song of spell or song of, song of uh, storms to the little man and the and then he's just standing there fucking like like you know like that crazed level of churning is what people do because they're like well i have no other choice i won't i don't want to admit that everything is bad even though i know it um but i still have to fuck somebody over because that's the american way quite frankly (laughs) Right, and I understand that that's true of most people, and I don't blame anybody for that, you know. Um, I guess I'm more interested in the question of, like, can we admit it? And and I don't think that we can... People are admitting it all the time without telling you. I I think people are raging against the dying of the light. They're expressing it, Eh. but they're not admitting it. They're not raging. Those of us in a... They have rage, but they are not raging. They are raging. Well, Karen's. They are raging. I mean, all, all you have to do... Karen's are, Karen's are actually a perfect example, but there's more serious ones. Like all you have to do is look at declining life expectancy and suicide rates and murder oh, rates yeah. and yeah. All, all sorts of things. Like yeah, people are raging, and so my point was oh, that going down. My point life was expectancy. that they oh by a lot yeah. We're the only. De- I mean, so was far like we're the only developed country in the world where life expectancy is dropping. Seventy six, right? Seventy eight. I forget what it was, but I know for men it's dropped by about two years. It oh, might, it's probably up to three Men have been now. dropping for decades. Yeah. Anyway, uh, my point is just that they were, that that at large everybody is expressing it. But I'm interested in the idea of those of us that are in a position to dwell on these matters and like theorize and think about them. It's interesting to see where it's coming down on who can admit it or not. 
And that's even a funny kind of moralistic way to yeah, put it. Yeah, I don't it. like that. I, mm. I think a lot of people don't like the idea that our, like, even if even if they can admit to themselves that conditions are worsening, they can't admit that it's unusual. Or unique. Hmm. Can't wait. Can't admit that it's unusual. Yeah, they would say that you know basically the the broad the broad strokes of history are that your local experience is always of some kind of decline, hmm. but that overall uh, the universal picture is always optimistic. I mean, I think that's a weird think, recency think about, bias. Think, I don't think that's think true. about the art, the the waves of history. So you know, like pre Renaissance, you have the Dark Ages, right? Like peasants and and such serfs you know not a lot of writing not a lot of things you know and there's so much that we're like we don't really know that much about that point in history right because everyone was like well I, we, pretty dumb if you're just talking about like the average person no yeah but we know plenty about it as a species we do mm. well yeah not much Things happen, but like the Dark Ages, just so you know, is like it's a historically discredited term. Like nobody uses that anymore because well, it's because it's so openly pejorative and so by uh, again recency bias, like so biased towards the Enlightenment and the Renaissance. That's what I'm. It's yeah. a weird way of looking at history in defined periods like that. Like that kind of historicity is not very popular anymore. People don't tend to frame things that way. I don't know anything about this, yeah. but you know, so then you have the peak of enlightenment and the Renaissance. And then what does that really lead to after, you know, in the 1600s, you you know, explore new worlds and then you kill two continents of indigenous people via smallpox blankets or whatever the fuck, you know, things are bleak pretty, pretty aggressively throughout expand, you know, the West expansion to North and Central America. Well, it's interesting because right now you're doing what a lot of people tend to do in the current moment, which is mix and match the two forms of history telling, like the broad strokes um, up and down of the stock market, the great man theory of history. There's these great periods and these there's periods of decadence and decline. Right. And, you know, that's how things go. That's the traditional or like conservative way of looking at history. But then you're mixing it with the progressive way of looking at history which is just that it's atrocity after atrocity if you look at it from a certain point of view yeah um i think most smart historians are able to mix those things pretty effectively but without coming down on either side of it i don't know anything about history i just look at the pictures you know like you know granted like that's literally all i can do well, but what, is, what, what, the reason that I that I'm laying it out that way and kind of trying to illustrate that is like I think it it is sort of a necessary thing for thinkers today to be able to mix idioms in that way in their mind and in their conversations. Right. You know, and I have a really hard time doing that because everybody has their biases. You know what I mean? I would basically rather deal with the canonical and traditional version of history because it's more cartoonish and easier to understand. If you just think about things in broad strokes and kind of eliminate the local human motivations for things and tend to think of things as like trends and forces, um, it's really sort of easy to look back and connect all the threads and say this all makes sense. But it never made sense to anybody at the time. Right. And human motivations did matter. You know, like you could say like the lead up to World War II, right? Like, all the conditions of the end of World War One and the Treaty of Versailles obviously paved the way for somebody like Hitler. But... What a place to write a treaty. But Anywho. did it have to be that guy? If it was a guy that 
wasn't a failed artist or wasn't a weirdo, would there have been a different version of that dictatorship? Like, that's actually an interesting question. Yeah, it would have been Tom York. So what? (laughs) Jesus Christ. He's a creep. He's a weirdo. (laughs) (laughs) So you can always, you can always kind of mix these things together. Right. And make interesting interpretations. So when it comes to this dystopian point or this sadism point or these things, like, I think because we are not used to being exposed to the trends and forces of history and we're all feeling it really raw right now, we tend to focus too much on our local stuff. Right. It's more interesting maybe right now to try to blend that more effectively with broader strokes and see what you get. I'm going to make a fully unformed statement. Yeah. So like, you know, the David show that's at the Met right now. Yeah. Radical draftsman. Fuck. Fuck the Mets titles. Let me just say that. That's that's a declarative statement. The Mets can suck every dick in the world because fuck your titles. Your titles are bad. You're bad at titling things. It's stupid. I mean, I guess what they're saying because you know he's you know if you if you think through it, yes, sure, that makes sense because you know friend of Marat and like the French Revolution. Like you kind like the reason why I bring this up is that yeah, but he was also like a court painter for like the. A resurgent like monarchies in france i don't know it's it's you know yeah. but i like i like thinking about that particular like moment where you're just like i again i got pictures like why do we have like the deaths of socrates and like the you know renewed need to like retell um roman myth in this kind of neoclassical way in, after a period of deep revolution in France. Like, you, you kind of forget, you're like, Frenchman did this? Huh. Weird. Like, even Canova, like, Canova does this all the time. You're just like, why is this? This is French? It's clearly French because it's so, ooh, sumptuous. But you're like, why is it so Italian? You know, like, why is the history mashing happening? What about that time period was so, like, in, in flux that we have even like na- you know artistic national lines being blurred to effect you know when we can unpack that but like someone like um David is really interesting now to look at where you're just like oh this is ping pong and all over the place well don't you think the restoration of classicism in support of a you know authoritarian regime is a pretty consistent theme in art history. I mean, it makes me wonder if in um, another two, oh, yeah. if in another 200 years, like Albert Speer in the third Reich or like whoever Mussolini's architect was in Rome um, will be. Look- that guy was great. Gotta say that shit. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked Woo, about baby. that before. You like that guy. Um, Will's a fascist. Just low key. It's no big deal. Just for Italian fascist architecture. It's wild looking. Well, see, it's already happening. So what my point is, is that like when the um, when you're no longer in hot blood, when the generations are dead and these things don't mean so don't have such like a visceral emotional valence to people anymore. Um, I really wonder if like, you know, things that are totally denigrated now and not influential in any way, like Albert Speer or something, um, will be looked at kind of like David. Because the parallel's not perfect. You know, Napoleon's not Hitler in the same way that Putin's not Hitler, right? Right. So you can't do that kind of stuff. But over time, when no one cares anymore, these things will be looked at differently. Well, you know... And I think the thread of, like, the the type of aesthetic that usually gets applied to a certain type of politics is pretty consistent. Because even... It's all about restoration, that's why. Even Picasso had a, like, you know... 
fascist period where everything is gray and like classical ish, but like, you know, stupid in the way that like middling cubism is. What's interesting to me, just this is totally off the top of my head because I don't care that much about Picasso, but thinking about that, you know, Picasso was uh, an avowed communist his entire life. Um, I really wonder if his like classicist period of the 20s and the interwar years was satirical because he was still painting it in a cubist way ish. Yeah. Um, But doing it in this like monumental and austere way, I wonder if he was poking fun at it. And I think that's probably true because he doesn't yeah. break it till Guernica, but that's also a black and white painting, and he erupts into full like synthetic cubism again at that point, right? Because it, it, it wasn't like the the class classicist paintings are not. I almost called them pictures, like an old person, you know, the classicist pictures, you know, when they were painted. <laughs> cool it with the anti-Semitism. No, I, I was doing my like, you know. <laughs> Don't tell me that wasn't a New York Jew accent. I was trying to Give do a, a what's his face, a Frank Stella. Oh, well, all right, point, point proven well, both right. ways. We'll table he, that. I thought part. he's Italian. Whatever. <laughs> no. Whatever. Stella. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Not. Did you see that? that? Did you see that meme? I laughed at it out loud. That was a picture of a Frank Stella painting, and it was like, uh, "Dudes will make paintings like this and title it the reason of marriage and squalor." Oh boy. Okay. Anywho. Um Anyway, yeah, we were talking about Picasso and classicism, but now you've been derailed. I can't remember why you were bringing up David either. I I want to hear more about that. Oh, no, cuz you just thought it was interesting. No, cuz you know, we were just talking about this uh, how do images kind of recirculate and it's just in times of crisis and you know the ups and downs of history like i think like that that's why like the david moment to look at those is kind of interesting now where you're just like do you need retellings of things and revalorizations because you know you know think of the american political cycle where it's like oh we're getting barack 3.0 and you're like no it's sleepy joe baby no you're getting a whole lot of nothing this is the same old shit and probably worse you know like how can you like how 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 often has you know repackaging in the name of the game so when you're asking this question of like are we in are we in the bad place you know yeah it's like you know many people have tried to you know repackage the bad place you know when things didn't go the right way so like david going you know painting marat and going yay it's a new world and then it's just like well i still got to keep my shit dry so Y'all want pictures in the court? Okay, cool. I'll still, you know, I'm here for you. Well, you know what's interesting in that respect is when you think about the history of French art in that era, it kind of jumps from Boucher and Fragonard, the height of, like, the decadence of the Ancien Regime, and sort of skips over the French Revolution with a brief interlude with that Marat painting of David's and then right into Napoleonic times, Right. right? Like, you sort of skip the revolution, and... There's a very material reason for that, which is just not a lot of art was being made because a lot of people's heads were getting cut off and there was a lot of upheaval and war. Right. You know, but the greatest artists of the French Revolution end up being like Delacroix, making liberty leading the people. But that was actually about a different revolution against a different thing. But like, you know, so when... And it's mostly just an Orientalist at the end of the day. You know, that fire with the harem and the things. He paints a lot of Ottoman stuff i mean that's also you know i don't know there was there was also wars between the french and turks at that time like a lot of it's just dispatches from the front you know right it's not that 
It's history painting, but like... Uh, yeah. Well, the interesting thing about those early modernists and why they're important is that they started doing that. They started doing like... You know, we were talking about Bruegel and Peter Paul Rubens on our last episode. Like, they started doing the Bruegel thing where they're doing, like, scenes from life. That's sort of a fresh new take all of a sudden. Yeah. I think we'll get something like that, too. But what's fascinating from our perspective now is that I think we're entering the period of upheaval or, like, not a lot of art gets made or not a lot of interesting art gets made at all. And Well, then, we've, ar- we've been there, so we've already been in the bad well, place. Well, I mean, well, this is this is, I think, bolsters... The point that I would make, which is another symptom that we're in a dystopia, is that it's already been a number of decades since anything really good or important has happened. And yet we're entering an even blacker period where almost nothing will happen rather than glimmers of light here and there. Um, Basically, this will be a dark period of nothing. And then you'll get the restoration people who will be framed politically and aesthetically a certain way. And you'll get the avant-garde people, too, but they will be revolutionary from a totally different perspective like i think i think our generation is uh, for the umpteenth time is getting lost in the mix here where like millennials we're not really going to contribute anything culturally or politically i don't think well because either you're vichy's or you're like on the ground and kind of trying to do anything and being materially capped or you're in that middling ground where you know you're generally you know like polite liberal and just kind of making in unoffensive things to anyone yeah and you're like nobody ever cares about the unoffensive things to anyone right ever yeah that's never that's never the interesting art ever ever at all so and that's most of it right now and it's either that or like you know the elon musk tweet of like i support the current thing you know is that the in, thing where in you which put case, the gray guy of I support whatever? Yeah, the, N- this week? the NPC. Yeah, is that is that the same thing as like the meme tweet of like, oh, I'm, I'm so glad for you. I'm sorry, or I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, no, not really. I don't know. I don't know internet culture that much. Yeah, Grandpa don't know that much. I mean, my point is just that you either have basically regime propagandists, which is ironic because a lot of these liberal artists think of themselves as doing something really cutting edge, but you're a lot more similar to neoclassicists just supporting whatever regime is going on at the time. Well, And then you have people making completely inoffensive kitsch, which will just be totally forgotten because they don't stand for anything. Well, and there's, at least that's fun. There's very, very few actually like revolutionary artists that do anything that's counter of either of those two positions. And even the ones that are are kind of captured by this whole thing because things move so fast that you're just immediately lumped in with post-left or anti-woke. And it's just then you're branded, then you're commodified, then you're just part of a subculture. Does it really become like uh, anything with any potential? Not really. It's immediately deflated by the velocity of information. So we're in a bad we're in a bad era where like that that's all going to have to be sorted out. And I don't think like really we're going to get that much input as millennials into that whole problem. Oh, no. It's going to move through us rather than any any one of us do anything important with no, it. No, because there will also be intergenerational betrayal of, like, anyone who, like, a different, like, a PMC class that will basically just be like, yeah, I'm so glad that, like, you know, I got to, like, get my 20s out, but, like, now I'm in my 30s. Like, you need to, like, work for me. Or 40s. I, when millennial, well, millennials are turning 40, but, like, when they're 45 and in the C-suite... I think that's when the bad, the real bad things are going to happen. Eh, it, you know, yeah, there, 
that's coming pretty soon, honestly, because there's what, a lot of Gen Xers in the in the C-suite right now, and they have a lot more in common with us than they have with boomers. I think they and us feel relieved by that reality. Right. Um, and as that progresses, like, they're a small enough generation that eventually they're going to get overtaken by millennials. You're right. But, like, think of the disruptor mm. people in any whatever niche thing, whether it's... You know, you have, like, the Facebook on the grand scale. Or if you have, like, Away. Do you know the scandal of the Away? No. So, Away had a lovely hit piece written about them. Where basically, like, you know, someone who was, like, 36 is the CEO and is just, like... Treating everyone that worked at her for her as, like, an indentured servant. of Just, like, what do you mean you have to go home on Thanksgiving? the biggest travel day you should be working and this was a millennial yeah yeah Yeah. because they're like no i I drove myself to get here what do you mean you you should have the same and like people were just like no well you know power doesn't really have a generational bias like it's that's a natural consequence of wanting more you know yeah but like and you know people if you're selling the idea of like we're different but you're like no it's even worse with me and you're like oh fuck you know down mary jesus and if you're a millennial that's sitting in a C- C-suite office right now, like this person or whatever, you got that because you got really, really astronomically lucky. lucky. And people that earn things, or, well, people that get things through luck are in the most precarious position of all because if they ever lose it all, they're not sure they could get it back. Like, the reason that they're tyrants and hold on to it so desperately is that they didn't earn it. If you earned it, you wouldn't be afraid to lose it. Right. So... People that are competent and get to a C-suite because they legitimately built the business from the ground up. They right. didn't inherit it. Um, they didn't luck their way into it somehow. I don't think they're very nervous and very vindictive towards their employees or the people around them because they know if shit hit the fan, I've done this once, I can do it again. They can handle it. And know. also, they're probably more responsible people in general to the point where they're not going to lose it. They're yeah. not gambling it on like financializing their business uh, through all over expanding multi-level yeah. marketing tendrils like yeah. they're not going to do that anyway so they're nicer yeah but you can spot right away someone that has power through luck because they're the most vindictive they're the most sadistic with it yeah to tie it back to that point hmm. <sighs> well why don't they you know just go get paddled spend 200 bucks You'll well, be... they do that, yeah. I don't... I'm going to say they don't. No, rich people definitely do that. Mm, mm-hmm. They should maybe do it more often. Get that shit out. Like, you know, keep it... Contain yourself. Crazy It doesn't people. have the same satisfaction when you buy it oh. as when it's forced upon you. It's not the same. It's artificial. It's synthetic. Mm. Again, oh, you thing, didn't yeah. really earn it. That's true. And you're just reinforcing the constant anxiety that you never really earned anything in your life. Hmm. Ooh. Well. If you want to get spanked, hit me up. Okay, that's disgusting. <laughs> I can't. Okay.